0: It's just I'm just going to pray, guys, and then we'll we'll get stuck into the word this morning. Lord, I thank you, God, that um, Lord that you go before us, Jesus, that you've paid the way, uh, paved the way, Lord. That that it's not, um, God, that the responsibility isn't all resting upon us, Lord, but we, we follow you, Father God, that we um, that we follow your calling and we follow your leading, Lord. Um, God, and I pray this morning as, um, as you bring your word this morning, Lord, that I would follow your leading. God, that, um, that it would be your word speaking through me this morning. Lord, that it would touch each and every heart here, Lord, that it would transform lives, God, that your word is powerful. And your, um, Lord, that um, your son, Jesus, is the word. Lord, and, we're, and, and we commit our lives to, to him and we commit this time to him right now, Lord. And we, we pray that, Jesus, you have your way in this service. Amen. So a couple of weeks back, Tara spoke on um, Bigger Picture Vision. Um, So this was just before we had um, the privilege of having, um, um, I want to say Nicole. Nicole was awesome, but we also had Brooke. Brooke Prentice coming and sharing with us, which was incredible. And um and but Tara talked about this bigger picture vision. Um and she she unpacks a couple of points in that, talking about unity in the body. And uh and one of the one of the things that she talked about was the um humility being a prerequisite to unity. And um, some of you might remember it. A lot of you, um, uh, like, tweeted it. A lot of you loved it, loved what it was. And it was something that kind of stuck with me. And, and we bought into our connect on the, on the following Tuesday. And we, we like to unpack the sermon and go a little bit deeper. And um, we got to this first point. We read out the verses in Ephesians. We got to this first point. Uh, humility is the prerequisite to unity. And, um, and we spent an hour on this point. Um, it was, it was so, James was like whoa we just spent an hour on point one there's like two to go and I was like yeah sorry about it. no it was awesome but James, James brought this like really incredible insight and this is kind of we went down the the rabbit's tunnel if you, if you like with this one and uh, the rabbit's hole and I, I'm going to invite you to join me down the rabbit's hole an apology to the young adults that were at the connect group but we're basically going to do connect again this morning uh, because I think it was just more than a fun conversation with the young adults but I, I really think that God's got something for the church here but um, James is like, we're talking about, do you agree with this statement that humility is a prerequisite for unity? We weren't trying to tear down Tyrus' authority, ju- just suggest. Uh, it, we are going, do, do you agree with this? Is this something that you've thought about before? Is this something that you've encountered before? And James um, uh, James said, so normally I play devil's advocate at Connect Group, and I always throw on spanners in the work just to get conversation going, um, and that's what the church pays me to do as young adults pastors play the devil um and so it's not really um and so so james i was um james reckoned i was being too nice in this connect group and he, so he took it upon himself to play devil's advocate so we've got the youth pastor involved now playing devil's advocate and he was like i reckon he's like well i i reckon hate unites and I was like, okay, let's let's explore this. So then we started talking about how this this idea that that maybe hate can be something that unites. And, um, I'm not saying that humility doesn't, but but hate hate is something that unites. And so so I've titled this morning's message, and I and have I just using Tyra's slide because I'm unorganized. But um, the title of my message is basically that, except it says why is humility. A prerequisite for unity. So we're going to explore that, but first we're going to unpack a little bit why hate can be a prerequisite to unity. Not necessarily God's unity, but it but it can be a but it can be something that binds together unity. So if you if you're not with me on this point, you're like I don't see how hate you know creates unity. Um, let me just give you a few examples, and we'll start pretty. Harmless, and then we'll move on to so so it's as simple as like um, uh, you know the well let's use the rugby for example last night because this is a good example Um, let's let's (laughs) let's just think about this Um, all black fans okay as as I count myself one the chosen um, we um, we love to hate the Wallabies okay we're united by our hate for the Wallabies. And this is so this is something, yeah, we love our team and we're united around our team. But I tell you what, man, when we'll adopt Will adopt like an Irish fan if they hate the Wallabies as much as we hate the Like, right? So, we, so we're, we're driven together by this hate. West Coast Eagles fans love to hate the Freo Docker fans, right? They love to hate the Freo Dockers. It's this, it's, you know, it's a fun type of unity. It's kind of like this, like ribbing. You like to rib your friend, like I'm in with all my mates and we're hating against the opposite team. So that, that's a simple way. Maybe the next level up is maybe you've, you're at a job. And, um, and you've got a bunch of coworkers on your same level and, um, and um, you love to hate your boss. I don't know if you've ever been in a job like this. I find myself in several jobs like this, not currently. Um, love my boss, and but, we, but it's a, a situation of like, everyone gets around and they like to have a little bit of a gossip about the boss and they like to be like, oh man, the boss like, is just whipping me today and everyone's like, oh man, that guy, he's the worst, right? And so, we, so we're united with, there's a bit of camaraderie in the co-workers because we're on this level and we know that, for me, it was in the, when I was a carpenter, I was in the workshop, it was us, the workshop boys against the office boys, right? So, you know, we're grubby, dirty, doing all the work, but then you've got the guys in the office and they're just whipping us and getting us going, and but they're making all the money and we're not getting anything. We hate the deadlines they're giving us. And, and we love to hate, we love, we're united in a hate for the, for the boss. So that's the next level. Sometimes it looks like the propaganda a country spins against another country so that we can go to war. Think of think of the examples of, of looking at World War 2, how um Ameri- how um Japan attacked America, okay? And suddenly to unite the country and to rally and and to come into the World War 2, they had this hate against the Japanese to the point Where it wasn't just the Japanese fighting the war; it was anyone that looked Japanese that they would vilify them on the streets, and they would abuse them, and then they would lock them up, and like so, suddenly a country has been united around. Hey, do you remember when 9/11 happened? Do you remember that the um, the the prejudice against anyone that looked like they were from the Middle East. Suddenly we see this hate uniting on a different level, on a level that's a little bit scarier. But there's such unity. There's such there's such unity that it creates. I'm not saying it's a good unity, but it really binds people together. You looked at look at how America came together after nine eleven. We're going to put everything aside, we're going to put Republican and Democrat aside because we don't negotiate with terrorists. So suddenly they're united on this hate for the other. So we shouldn't be surprised when we read in the paper this week about an Australian Senator trying to unite Australians around hate of the Muslim. And using language that has been used before to unite people around the hate of the other. We see this throughout history. My dad, completely unrelated to this, I was talking to my dad the other day. He said, the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Cynical, but, you know. The action... The action of this Australian Senator is deplorable, but it is one that's been employed over and over again throughout history. And the major concern should be how often it works. People love to gossip. People love to have a cause to fight for, a team to hate, a political party to disagree with. And they'll often find like-minded people and surround themselves with these like-minded people and suddenly there's unity. Why do we do this? Some of you may have heard of um, a professor from the University of Houston called Brene Brown. I know that a lot of the youth bunch have. She was asking a bunch of high school students the question, what is the difference between fitting in and belonging? And with incredible insight, these, these young high school students, I think it was like middle school, so it was like the younger end of our high school, responded, fitting in is when you want to be a part of something Belonging is when others want you. So fitting in is when you want to be a part of something, you want to be involved, but belonging is when that group of people want you to belong with them, want you to fit in. Brene goes on to say, this is the professor, it's partly because we are neurobiologically hardwired for belonging and connection. We're hardwired to want it and need it so much that the first thing we do is sacrifice ourselves and who we are to achieve it. Has anyone been in a situation where maybe they've sacrificed who they really are to fit in? We've sorted ourselves into ideological bunkers, and so I would argue that nine times out of ten, this is still Brene, the only thing I have in common with the people behind those bunkers is that we all hate the same people, I call it common enemy intimacy. Man, I was listening. So I was listening to this on a podcast um, that I listened to called "On Being," like human beings. On Being, and uh, Krista Tippett um, interviews all these people from different faith backgrounds, and from um, anthropologists, and philosophers, and theologians, and ministers, and all these different people on um, on on just whatever kind of they want to talk about in this sphere. And Brene's words just hit me and it, and it became so real to me. And this was before, um, this was before our connect group, I'd heard this. So when James said, you know, that hate has the abil- ability to unite, I was like, oh man, yeah, this is what Brene was talking about common enemy intimacy. So we have this need to belong that is actually a part of our DNA, it's actually imprinted on the fabric of who we are, so much so that we compromise who we are to belong. And in doing so, we end up uniting with people over the things or the people we hate. These bunkers get built out of the things that segregate us from what is different. And if you're you're finding what I'm saying hard to believe, even just look in society, how suburbs are generally divided into the income of the people that live there. Our co-workers are usually educated at the same level we are, and we attend churches that align with our belief system. I don't like what that church is preaching. I, I don't feel called there anymore. I'm going to move on. All these things can build bunkers of common enemy intimacy, even if it's at a subconscious level. So if hate unites us so rapidly and so effectively, how do we arrive at the concept humility is the prerequisite to unity? It would seem that hate is the prerequisite to unity. But hate can only go so far in uniting us. What happens when your friends are gossiping about your boss or your common enemy and suddenly you're like, ah, nah, come on guys, they're not that bad. Suddenly it's like, what? What did you say? Oh, well, he's he's not that bad. You know, I mean, I'm sure the boss is under a lot of pressure as well. He's probably in a similar situation. Are you, are you siding with the boss here? Are you siding with our enemy? Suddenly... As soon as the, the unity is as strong as the common enemy intimacy, as soon as that I question the enemy, maybe they're not that bad, suddenly I'm disconnected from the group that I'm obviously not belonging to. I'm just fitting in. Suddenly you're excuted, excluded. And we're back to the high school students. It becomes really obvious, really quickly, that you only fit in if you hold on to the same hate as us. That's not belonging. That's not unity. That's superficial, surface level, fragile, volatile ground. How can, be, how can unity be maintained in such an environment? How can there be any sense to fulfill this need of belonging in an environment based on common enemy in intimacy? It just can't. So hate might be the unifying theme, theme that um, the world calls us to, but it's not certainly the type of unity that God calls us to. So how does humility unify? In fact, I would say that humility is a prerequisite to Christian unity. Or that unity that Christ calls us to starts with humility. But before we unpack why it is a prerequisite to unity, let's return to Brene Brown and the high school students. Why? Um, Why is it that we have this need to belong? Why, if it's in our DNA, why is it so? And why is it that we desire unity at a neurological, biological, hardwired into our brain at, at that level? If you look at the image of the God we worship, the God we worship is the Trinitarian God. It's not, as Christians... And, and maybe you're not that familiar with the theology of the Trinity, and sometimes it can seem scary and, and impossible to approach. But as Christians, it's important that we worship the triune God, not the monotheistic God, because of the unity and the relationship that is displayed to us in the relationship of the Trinity between the Father, Son, and Spirit. When we talk about being made in the image of God, it isn't an isolated concept, but a one designed for relationship. God did not create me as this autonomous being because that isn't a true reflection of who God is. The Trinity is how God exists in relationship. And there's even, you can go down into the theological concepts of it and you could go, can the Father exist outside of the Trinity? Because how can a father be a father if he has not a son? A father is only a father because he has a child. And a son is only a son because he has a father. So it's, it's necessary, the relationship, the God we worship, relationship is at uh, God's core being. It's who He is. And just as God is in relationship through the Father um, Son and Spirit, so we are called to be in relationship with each other. We're called to be in communion with each other, and we're called to be in communion with our Father, with God, with Jesus, and with the Spirit. Just as the Father is in communion with the Son, just as the Son is in communion with the Spirit, and so on. That is why we desire we have this idea, this thing imprinted upon our hearts. So let's return to the question, why humility is why is humility the prerequisite to unity? All we had to do was look at Jesus and his ministry at this point, which was marked by humility. We think of who Jesus was, how he washed the disciples' feet, how he hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Uh, He hung out in the... he, He wasn't hanging around the kings. He wasn't hanging around the big shots, right? His encounters with them wasn't rubbing shoulders with them and getting cozy with them. He was hanging around the people that you would say a king has no right to hang around. His ministry was marked by humility. But the greatest mark of his humility was his incarnation, which is a fancy way of saying how God became flesh, how God stepped down from the throne of heaven and became a man born of Mary. This insane idea that Jesus came as a baby boy. Someone was was having to wipe his bum. Sometimes the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Jesus between the ages of his birth and and 30. We get a couple of mentions. But let's, let's just place ourselves there in the imagination of Scripture right now. Jesus was a baby. And I'm sure he woke Mary up in the middle of the night crying. And I'm sure as a toddler... He might have had a tantrum. He came into the fabric of humanity that was like, let's be honest, we're not perfect. We have our moments. The humility of God. This is God stepping down into humanity. I mean, that's a big deal if he just came as 30-year-old Jesus and he came in and he came as the Messiah. But he was born of Mary and he had to grow up. And I was thinking about this point, and I've got a little bit of a side, side point here for free, that Jesus, he didn't do much until he was 30. And I know that sometimes I know the call of God on my life, and I know that God's called me to all these great things and i have these dreams placed in my heart and 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 i know that some of you here are the same but when you're not walking or living in that calling we get frustrated we're like god why haven't you given me everything that you've promised me i feel like i'm just knocking against this wall i i feel like i haven't broken through yet but here jesus right hey if anyone knew the calling of god upon their life it would be the son of god okay he didn't enter into his ministry until the timing was right because he knew that the father's timing was perfect timing and he didn't step into that. Yeah, he was preparing. He was at his father's house preparing, right? But he didn't step into that moment until he was 30. And sometimes we get frustrated as people but this is the son of God. And then he only got three years at it, Right? So if, if you take, any, take take this little one away today that, remember, he kept on saying, remember how many times he said, but my time hasn't come yet. This was, this was a, a man, a God, God, that was fully aware of the timing of God and the, the calling of God upon his life, but also the timing of God. So I feel like that's an encouragement to some people here. Let's go back to the Incarnation. Jesus comes to earth to live this incredibly humbled life, a life marked by humility, by the standards of men. But this is God we're talking about. It's not a glorious life. Sure, it has its moments, but it ends, and spoiler alert if you haven't read your Bible, but it ends in he dies on the cross, a criminal's death. So if you've got your Bibles here this morning, I want to spend the remainder of our times in this passage in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning if um, if you've brought a bunch of Bibles with you and you can sift through them and choose which one. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, Any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Here we've got Paul talking about unity, right? Same mind, same love, being of full accord together. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So hard on, right? And now humility. This is where Paul's talking about now in verses, um, in verses 3 to 5, or 3 to 4, 3 and 4, um, where what's interesting about this passage is the word conceit here. It's Inconvenient. My notes are on two pages at this point, but in humility, sorry, do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, the Greek word here is kenodoxia, which also means vainglory. And in one of the um, commentaries I was reading, it says it calls it a proud bid to rival God and to establish a self-assertive status which quickly leads to despising of others. Can you see how conceit could lead us into a unity of hate? See, Paul is warning us against the type of things that lead us into this hate-centered unity. Instead, he's telling us to put all of that aside and put on humility. Let's read on verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped that is flipping insane humility right there but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God was highly exalted therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in this passage in verse 1 and 2, we have Paul calling us to unity as Christians. Then in uh, verses 3 and 4, he's telling us how to do it through humility, putting aside conceit. Then then in the last verses, he points towards the ultimate example and who we as Christians are called to be like. Jesus. Where he goes on to explain the excruciating process of humility that Jesus went through. The incarnation not counting equality with God, even though it was his right. Not taking, uh, sorry, taking on the form of a servant obedient to death, even death on a cross, which was the most humiliating criminal's death that was reserved for the worst of the worst that spoke out against the Roman government. That's why it says, you know, he fell even to death, even death on a cross. Paul's making a point. This is as bad as it gets. I'm going to ask the band to join me this morning. And Jesus does all this for what purpose? That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's, there's even humility there. That Jesus is Lord, but he does it for the glory of the Father. It's this beautiful image in the Trinity that they all point to each other. It's not like this hierarchical Top dog, then two I C, then assistant to the assistant regional manager. And you know it's it's this beautiful humility, this beautiful um this beautiful equality in the Trinity that we see pictured and what we're called to together. And we're gonna as I close, we're going to sing together this morning. We're going to sing this beautiful song that Jesus calls us to be, to be like you, that that would be our cry. Here's the beauty, guys. Let's not miss this. This is why, this is the answer to why humility is the prerequisite to ultimate unity, to Christian unity, to unity that Christ calls us to. Because Jesus humbled himself in the incarnation and came to earth, because Jesus was obedient to the Father's call on his life, because the Father was obedient too, because Jesus comes to the cross that he gives his life in the utmost humility that he could have defended himself, but he chose to take it all, and he goes to the cross. Because of his humility, we can have unity with God. Because of Jesus' humility, we're invited by Jesus to enter into communion with the Father, with the Trinity. Because if it wasn't for his incarnation for if it wasn't for his death on the cross for if it wasn't for his uh, resurrection if it wasn't for these acts of humility we wouldn't belong we wouldn't have the opportunity to belong to enter into the family that God's called us into church that's what I want you to catch this morning church if you can join me and stand how could we find true belonging without Jesus? We find true belonging in relationship with God, in relationship with one another. It was like Mike was saying, loving God, loving one another. This is an invitation to everyone that Jesus is, came so that everyone could be saved. That is the heart of the Father. That is the heart of the Trinity. I said it before in church that it's not like Jesus is this kind of guy standing between us and the Father going, calm down, angry Father, they're not that bad. This is the heart of the Father. The cross was always the plan that we could have unity with Christ, with the Trinity, with God the Father, with the Spirit, that we could be invited into that perfect relationship, that we wouldn't be united by hate, but we would be united by what our Messiah shows us in humility. What does this look like in our lives? How does this live out practically and spiritually in our lives? Church, my challenge to you this morning is what are you uniting around? In your walk with God, Are you uniting around the hate for the other? Or are we approaching everyone and everything with humility? We're called to unite around Christ as Christians, but we can only unite with Christ when we enter in with humility, with the recognition that Jesus is God and we are not. With the recognition that God loves everyone and died for everyone. It's easy to hate from a distance, church, but humility requires us to get close. I can't be humble. False humility is this thing that looks like humility, but you you keep your distance. Real humility is entering in. It's coming close. Renee Brown puts it, it's hard to hate people up close, move in. If we can catch that we're designed by God, it's imprinted on our DNA to belong because that is what the image of the triune God is. If we can catch that for us and you begin to meditate on that, reuminate on that, you begin to chew it, the realization comes that if it's true for me it must be true for everyone that everyone has this image imprinted upon their lives that everyone is called into unity with Jesus so i want to give i want to give space this morning for for people here that may have never had an opportunity to enter into this unity with their Creator into into unity with their Savior. I want to give people an opportunity this morning with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, that maybe you've been uniting around hate. Maybe your relationships have only been as deep as fitting in. Maybe you've compromised who you really are and who God has called you to be to try and belong. But I want to encourage you this morning that who God truly created you to be is how He wants to exist in relationship with you. He doesn't want the fake you, the false you. When we can strip off all the falsity and fakeness that we may paint on like a mask and we can strip it off and come humbly to God as he invites us to, into a relationship with his son Jesus. If that's you this morning, if you've never had an opportunity to be invited into this space this morning, if you've never been invited to have a relationship with Jesus, to have a relationship with God, if you've never had that opportunity, I want to make space this morning to invite you into that place. And to do that, I'm going to ask you to do something brave with all the heads bowed and eyes closed and just ask you to slip up your hand. And then when we do that, I'm going to pray a prayer, but we're going to pray it as a church family because we exist in relationship. Because if you haven't found a sense of belonging yet, let me tell you that we accept you as a church, that we accept who you are and we want to invite you into relationship with us as people. That relationship with God is a beautiful thing, but he's given his church the mandate to live out that relationship practically. That they would know his people by the way they loved each other. So that's you this morning. If you can just slip up your hand. And then we'll pray together as a church. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart We have not loved our neighbor, the stranger, or our enemy as Christ first loved us. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will. And walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And everyone said, I'm just going to invite Mabu up, and she's going to lead us in a time of community, our uh, communion around the table. And this is the invitation that God's calling us to.
1: Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, church. If you can just. Sit for two minutes. Thank you. Thank you. So, this morning I just thought uh, before I call everybody to the table as requested, I just want to share a little bit because um, I feel like I'm comfortable enough to share my secrets with my new family in Perth, so I'm not sure what's going to happen, but um, God knows, because this is time that um, I share with you my journey with the Lord, as He has uh, done great things for me and my family. So, my name is Mabu, it means Earth. Or soil. I am from South Africa. It is in the African continent. Uh, God has blessed me with uh, four children, four beautiful children. A very handsome young man, turning 30, this year is my firstborn. And my little angel, she's here. She's turning 21 this year. So are two gorgeous young women in between them and ages 26 and 27 full stop no questions right okay God is good so then they are just like twins really I divorced at the age of 30 my son was only nine at the time Their father, my husband, decided to disappear with everything we both worked so hard for: house, cars, furniture, um, and my clothes. Oh, he didn't take them with. He just, he just bent them. With a teacher's salary, really, it was just close to nothing for a family of five. But I always trusted God for strength to carry us through each day. I taught my children everything I knew about God. I went to church every Sunday with them. We prayed together every evening. So it happened that the twins started school at the same time. And when they were in year 4 I started having thoughts. As a teacher I knew already how difficult it is even you know for both parents to send just one child to higher education that is university. Now in my case I'll be having two. So this is uh, far from possible, really. So this is the plan. I should start praying. No one should ever find out about it. I pray alone this prayer. For it's a secret prayer. I'll pray and plead with God every day for him to help me that one of these twins should fail. For I can't be the one to disappoint one of them because of my financial difficulties. So, if they get spaced up a little bit, maybe it won't be so difficult. This is These I know for sure God can help me with. This is the best plan. Right? That's the best plan. So for eight years, while my children are working very hard at their grades, I'm secretly praying and crying to God to fail for them. It's year 12 now. Nothing has happened yet. But... Maybe God will answer me when the final results are made available. I know he's never early. I know he's never late. Maybe he will decide to fail both them or both of them after all. If he can do that for me, really I'll forever be grateful. For I did my best to save, but I just couldn't make it. It has just been so difficult. I'm just not ready. Not even for one of them. Final year results are released. My two daughters, both passed with bachelors. Three universities already accepted them. In less than four weeks, it's enrollment. Now they are celebrating. Finally, they are going to, the, uh, to be students, no longer learners in high school, very, very far away from a short strict mom's house. It's a new life, finally. Freedom has come. So they are busy celebrating outside, and they have no idea that in my room, I'm just standing there staring outside. I have no words. I can't believe what God has done. After such a long time, 9 years of praying and pleading with him and just crying with uh, you know, crying to him for this little thing, just a small thing for him to help me with and he just decided not to do it. And now he's expecting me to go outside and join those people and call them and tell them, you're not going anywhere? It's, It's not going to happen. I'm not the one to disappoint my children. I cannot crush them. They have been through a lot already and God knows that so I'm not going I'm not doing it he'd rather just kill me I'm just as good as dead I can't do it he has abandoned me the pain my husband caused me is nothing compared to this one surely he has forsaken me So that's what I thought. And it's just so hard. But church, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our plans are not God's plans. Our ways are not His ways. He works in many ways we can't see. So I'm pausing right now church, sorry about that, so I'm just going to share with you, I love my Bible, I'm not going to preach, Sam, that was beautiful, so I'm not extending that, God is good, so I'm just going to share with you, from the book of Matthew, it's right here, Matthew 22, and I'm going to read, I will read this. I'm I'm going to read with you. Uh, Here we've got the Pharisees. I'm not going to say much about them. But they have a question for Jesus, the Son of God. And they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus answered them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your mind. And with all your soul. That is the greatest commandment. And you know, I'm sharing this with you because I know for sure that this commandment is coming with the greatest reward to just love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Who has a gift or a reward for us? God our Father. And we get this It's just here in Psalm 91. Just two verses, I think. Because they love me, says the Lord. I will rescue them. I will protect them. For they acknowledge my name. They will call on me. And I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will deliver them and honor them. And this is where this is becoming personal for me. Because Mawul loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue her. I will protect her. For she acknowledges me as the Lord. She will call on me, and I will answer her. I will be with her. In trouble, I will deliver her, and I will honor her. So church, this promise of God is very much alive. And it came alive, it became active for me. He rescued us. Not only did he rescue me, he he also rescued my children. He delivered us. Why? Because he knew I loved him with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my soul. My children didn't have have to fail or miss any year. I didn't have to die in less than four weeks' church. They were both enrolled at the university, and that was in February 2012. They never repeated a year. Uh, One of them has graduated as a medical technician, and she will soon graduate as a medical attorney. And another one graduated as a high school teacher, and she will soon graduate her master's. She's right here in Perth. So I thank God so much for, degree, uh, for, for, for his love and for his mercy. Praise the Lord. So church, if you want to stand with me today. So if this is your prayer, this morning, church, to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come. You who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have come for the first time. You who have tried to follow Jesus. You who have failed in following Jesus. And you who have just decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Live now if necessary and go be a forgiver. Then run back because it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter him here. So come.
2: Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Lord. Thank you, Father. Mm. Thank you, Father God. We bless you for today, Father. We thank you for your word that was imparted to us for the power of the resurrection of the life that is in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here today to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of going out to take that word to the world that you've called us to. We thank you, Father God, for the privilege of being in your presence, for the joy of knowing Christ. We thank you, Father, for all the good that you bestow on us. We thank you for the wonderful testimony of Mabu, Father God, how you can step in the way And do good, despite what we imagine would be the right way. We thank you, God, that in spite of ourselves, you are still God. We thank you, Father, for taking what seemed like an impossible situation. And creating a wonderful testimony of your love, your mercy, your provision. Of how wonderfully sovereign you are. How totally in control you truly are, Father. Thank you, Lord, for blessing that family. That their testimony can go forth, Father God. And that others can know that you, Father, can put rivers in the middle of a desert. That, Father, you can make a way where there seems to be no way. Praise you, Father. Thank you for the Word. Thank you for Sam and the Word, Father, for the unity that is in Christ. Let us take that away, family, as we go today, as we go unified in God, Father. As we come today and um, leave, which is what we're about to do. Whoop. Don't drop your phone. It's in here somewhere. Thanks, Sam. Awesome. See, Sam works here. He knows where stuff is. Um, every week we come together and we we say the benediction. And we discuss benediction in, in our connect group this week. It means to speak well. Speak well. Say things that are positive. And uplifting and blessing to others. So as we read this benediction together, as we come around this and we we speak well over one another, let us speak unity, love, mercy, grace, hope, all things that are of God. And at the end, don't run away because we've got something really important to say. Read with me. Church. We have come as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out over us. He has exchanged the crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for the spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, oaks of integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of His beauty bless and rebuild the city in His unfailing, non-violent love. So go, broadcast good news for the pure. Bind up the brokenhearted. Prophesy freedom for captives. Let the blind see, set free the oppressed. Live jubilee and forgive. Blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in His liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us. To participate in God's freedom of mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.